to me, uh, posh uh, policy and uh, adherence to the statute is just the beginning of a journey. And it, it should be part of the overall culture of an organization. Hello, hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Voice the Sasha Poshcast, your go-to podcast for all things posh. This is your host, Shweta Bhatt. And in this episode, I am very excited to be talking to Manu Srinivasan, an HR and leadership consultant and the founder of HR Marga. This month, we are focusing on the theme of role of leadership in Posh. And some of the topics that we will be focusing on include Posh as compliance and much more, letter of the law versus spirit of the law, responsibilities of employers and senior leadership in creating safe workplaces and the benefits to the organization and employees of the same. So without any further ado, let's dive in. Thank you so much, Manu, for agreeing to be featured on this podcast with us and for this conversation that we're about to have. I believe it's a much needed one. Uh, So we've received a bunch of questions from our team um, about, you know, the role of senior leadership when it comes to posh, the role of employers and how to make things better. So I'm going to just dive right in. And uh, so the first question we have is around the area of policies. So um, there are different policies that organizations have. So uh, the question is about how important is the posh policy of an organization in comparison to the other policies? Uh, are they prioritized in a certain way or is it all treated as the same? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. First of all, uh, Shweta, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be associated with Sasha. I've known Kanti for about seven years now and I've been associated with almost all of you in the team. And um, I've always told her that she's had a wonderful, bright team and it's a pleasure to have any conversation with any of you to start with. Thank you. Then diving right in, as you said, uh, Posh started off as a compliance, right? And uh, it is a part of the policies now in any organization that needs to comply with the laws of the land. And there are policies, as you are aware, uh, many of them are owned by HR. These policies, some of them are compliance oriented and some of them are organizational policies, right? With specific reference to Porsche, uh, I think it it is a bit of both. There is obviously the compliance angle, which needs to be taken care of. Uh, You need to set up the IC, you need to adhere to the requirements of the law, and you need to send your returns and, you know, train your employees and all those those aspects that are associated with having the uh, statute uh, enabled in your organization. However, from a policy perspective, To me, uh, posh uh, policy and uh, adherence to the statute is just the beginning of a journey. In most other statutory compliances, uh, you you set up the process, uh, you you do whatever it takes to comply and then you're more or less done, you know, it it will run its course. There isn't much more thought or input that you need to add to that compliance issue. Uh, With posh, you're just starting on a journey, a journey of making your workplace a secure and more acceptable workplace for women and generally employees of both genders. And it 
it should be part of the overall culture of an organization. And in, in a culture that is diverse, where you want to have the best talent available for the jobs that you have at hand, and you want the you want your organization to be uh, comfortable, um, happy, secure environment, then it your journey starts with the implementation of the FOSS statute. So in that sense, it is different from the other policies. Uh, many of the aspects of POSH can also be part of the code of conduct of an organization in terms of, you know, um, building a respectful workplace. But from a policy perspective, the POSH obviously has to, you, you need to have a policy that adheres to the POSH statute. But we have to look much beyond that. That is my uh, understanding of how POSH needs to be implemented in an organization. Um, I like the way that you explain basically what boils down to a letter of the law versus the spirit of the law uh, kind of thing. The bare minimum would be the compliance and then our journey Absolutely. just begins from there. Begins there. It's a great yeah. way to put it. Absolutely. Uh, we have already talked about how crucial spirit of the law is uh, when it comes to posh, you know, but some organizations um, do do the, you know, the, the basic compliance. Uh, they just look at the letter of the law um, and then they stop, right? So if we are working with organizations like these and there might be many reasons as to why they uh, do so, there might be budgetary constraints, etc. What do you think motivates companies to view, look at Posh beyond just legal compliance? See, one of the things I think of here is that when you do the leadership training or the leadership connect, uh, and I know that that is done before you actually jump into the implementation of POSH, uh, as a, in, especially in the initial stages. I think in that knowledge uh, transfer or information session, I think it's important to let people know what could be the uh, ramifications of not uh, considering the POSH statute as a larger cultural phenomenon, right? And uh, I think there is a distinct ROI on having an equitable or respectful workplace because today talent is in uh, such deficit. You have people, but to have talented people and if we don't have a system that can attract 50% of the population, which are women, who can't attract them and keep them and retain them and help them grow within our system, then we're losing out a lot in terms of uh, talent that can contribute, that can excel, that can build and grow organizations. So uh, definitely there is that whole diversity management, uh, you know, uh, ecosystem, which I believe is extremely beneficial for organizations. So, you know, what are some of the simple things that, I mean, of course, there are many, many things, but what are some, you know, some of the, if you look at it from a best practices point of view, what are some of the simple things that leaders can do um, to go beyond compliance or to basically set up a safe workplace uh, with respect to posh? And how does what role does the leader play in you know creating an environment um, of safety, inclusion, zero tolerance, etc.? Yeah. So one of the most powerful tools, of course, is communication. 
use every forum, every uh, opportunity to communicate how the organization is committed to being a respectful workplace, is committed to zero tolerance on any kind of harassment within the workplace. The other aspect would definitely be investment in training, especially leads and managers and uh, potential leadership on how to manage teams uh, respectfully because most of the uh, at a very uh, you know ground level a lot of the complaints that we do see are against the managers so and and they may stem from a lot of issues that actually happen within teams so investment in training of the leads and managers investment in training of the organization at large on how to uh, you know like you said create a respectful workplace on gender sensitivity these are very important investments that a leader can do. Um, I also believe that the leader must be a role model. And if the leader sets a certain expectation among his team and his direct reports, and they in turn do the same with their direct reports, it kind of percolates in the organization. If we see leaders as being uh, respectful, you know, understanding of uh, team members, the needs of different genders and, you know, uh, helping them kind of assimilate in the organization, having having a diverse second level, having people of both genders in leadership, in senior management. These are some of the things that communicate an organization's intent to have a diverse workforce. And once you have a diverse workforce, the respect element is kind of a part of that whole uh, journey. Absolutely. I want to talk about, you know, resistance from leadership, specifically with respect to implementations of the recommendations of the committee. So legally, the recommendations of the committee are binding on the employer. But realistically speaking, um, I'm sure you have, you know, we have seen uh, instances where, you know, they, they might change something or downplay something or even, you know, um, increase the quantum of disciplinary action let's say have you come across such instances yes Shweta, i've experienced both both ends of the spectrum <laughs> in some cases when the accused is somebody who is um, fairly senior or very critical to the process right uh, critical to the organization is somebody a lot of customer relationships or projects are dependent on it becomes very difficult to convince the leadership, you know, although like as chairperson of the IC, I was of a senior level myself, but they, it was very difficult to get uh, acceptance on what the IC was recommending, even to the extent of rubbishing the process and saying that it was not run properly and it's not, it's not accurate and, you know, uh, in, and the other part of the process is when, when the accused or the per perpetrator, whatever, I, I'm not sure, respondent in this case, I think that's the right word, right? When the respondent is uh, of a senior uh, stature in the organization, in the industry as well, then what happens? We get the complaint by word of mouth. The complainant doesn't want to write it down. She doesn't want to put it in paper. She has witnesses. She has people who are willing to come and tell me 
that this is what happened and you know uh, but they would want to hear from the leadership that their complaint will be kept confidential that uh, their complaint will not uh, impact their jobs their lives uh, i was in a situation once where i couldn't do that because our uh, ceo in that case was not willing to give that kind of commitment was not willing and hence we couldn't get the complaint in writing at all and it was the third time that a very senior leader got away with it because the complainant was anxious afraid uh, family was advising against putting that complaint in writing didn't want to go through the repercussions just asked her to leave right and uh, that's what happens in most of these cases you lose the employee because they obviously can't stay there having gone through whatever they do and being uncomfortable in that ecosystem but the other thing is um, they are very fearful of how not just their jobs in the current company but their jobs in the industry at large in their careers get impacted so uh, i've had that reaction and that was extremely frustrating because we had direct guidance from the board said don't touch him this evidence is not sufficient how do you know she's not lying you know all that kind of stuff and even though we had solid evidence and we knew and this is like i said a third time this is happening with a particular person we still couldn't do anything about it <clears throat> the other extreme is when in a, in a leadership case i have found that one particular you know narrative that i have where uh, a leader went after a employee and made sure she could gather sufficient complaints against him we do guide as a hr department i do guide when somebody says i've had this experience i do guide them that this is a case for the ic please write it down but you can't push them you cannot force them and once you once you uh, apply that kind of pressure and you're a leader and you're the ceo of an organization the employee buckles under that pressure the workplace itself you know the way workplace functions um how have you seen it evolve over the years I mean, you've been in this field for many years now so uh, have you seen certain things very change? rapidly changing yeah it's cha- it's changing very rapidly one of the things that happened that first one of the first changes that happened is that it we've become very informal in the workplace right we recruit both men and women and they are in the same place they are in in the office for long hours uh we insist that the environment be very collaborative that people engage with each other we create situations for engagement where people get to interact with each other a lot more comfortably and easily now uh, drawing okay so let let's not go to the problems of that but just to say that that is one of the uh, changes that have happened the other change that has happened is there are more women now in the workplace than they used to be so if you look at the junior level intake when we hire freshers especially it's almost 50% or more women come into the workplace but senior management still continues to be under 30% senior managers and delivery managers and heads and all of them are very few and in leadership it still continues to be 10% and lower so while it has not changed at the top of the pyramid we have a lot of women coming into the workforce right the other thing that has happened i think one of the biggest changes is social media 
right? The access of so much of information about an individual, you know, where they go to eat, what kind of clothes they wear on the weekend, where do they go to have a drink, uh, what, what are the kind of activities they have. There's so much of information that, you know, you wouldn't want to probably share in a professional environment, but is accessible by all. And, you know, leads to a lot of uh, other uh, complications. And uh, we, this, this whole pandemic has obviously made the situations a lot more uh, now digital. We are not face to face with our team. So we are distanced, we are remote. So that's another huge change that has come to stay and will continue to stay even any kind of blended working that we have now. We'll have a large part of our organization still being remote. So these are some of the changes and they come with their own issues. So in closing, um, you know, uh, is there something that you would like to say? Um, Shweta, the only thing that I want to say is uh, I personally have never believed that the Porsche is just a compliance. For me, it's one element of a larger system of looking at how the organization uh, runs its diversity programs, how, cult how their cultures and values are about having an equitable workplace, respectful workplace, mm -hmm. sensitive to gender and challenges that come along with it, right? And especially <clears throat> in the current world where we are remote, right? And the challenges that women are facing by having to work at home with childcare, children are not going to school, elder care, so many things and not, you know, being completely stressed out at the way, uh, you, you know, the whole work-life uh, blend is happening or the blur what we speak about the work-life blur is happening so uh, the whole sensitivity of the organization uh, towards that is extremely important and uh, I'd like to just say that one of the some of the things I'm doing with my organization HR Marga is trying to drive uh, discussions learning around uh, having how do you have a respectful workplace how do we create gender sensitive environments and uh, definitely uh, you know try to communicate the aspects around gender diversity through mediums of art we use a lot of theater and art based techniques because we feel the messages go down a lot more easily plus they could be a lot more fun so i feel that the uh, collaboration between compliance and running the process and building the environment and then generally looking at <clears throat> looking at gender equality and uh, gender sensitivity from a systemic perspective what are the policies around it how is your pay parity how many women do you have at each level it, and it could go beyond women right the diversity is much more it goes beyond women so how do we look at the entire ecosystem? What are the benefits that you derive from investing in these kind of systems and processes and policies? It's something that my organization is very keen on working on and we've started working in that direction. So uh, I'm sure we are like the, we are like the add-on to something that you, you people do. And both are absolutely required in an organization to make sure that uh, we leverage the talent that is available and uh, we are we look ahead I mean I don't think now skill or competence is a male or female thing right so I think we have 
people are skilled and competence competent from both genders and as an organization the intent is to leverage that because you never know where your next star your next leader your next high potential is going to come from and if we don't give that opportunity in the system we don't give it that respect we will lose out as organizations yeah absolutely absolutely um so thank you so much uh, manu for uh, i think this this very thoughtful conversation i am taking away a lot of learnings and a lot of interesting points uh, that i will be sitting with uh, and i'm sure our viewers are too thanks so much thank you shweta that was really um, for me it was very interesting speaking with you as always my interactions with chacha have been wonderful so thank you so much and that was our episode dear viewers what did you think of it what questions are you left with what do you want to tell us write to us at voice@sashaindia.com we would love to hear from you also don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to our monthly newsletter voice of sasha on substack until we meet again with a brand new theme remember to take care of yourself and that prevention and protection lead to progress